this is the Pilgrim's Digress uh, of Chapter 1 of the Pilgrim's Progress podcast. We are the Pilgrims in Question. That's going to be a thing I say. That's how I'm going to start them all. Okay. That's um, me, Zachary Bartles, and uh, I am here with Alex Police, a.k.a. Alex the Popo, a.k.a. Mr. Sagacity. Sagacity. Mr. Sagacity, uh, which is, a if you are a true devotee of the Pilgrim's Progress, is a, a name that's not unfamiliar to you. Um, in that he is a very bad choice that John yeah. Bunyan made in, in How to Tell Part 2 of the Story. What we're doing here, the, this, the Pilgrim's Progress is uh, the forward motion. Progress, I'll give you a little, you know how I am with words. Yeah. Progress comes from the Latin root meaning forward to walk. So to walk forward, he's making his way from the city of destruction to the celestial city. Digress is to walk Side to side, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so a digression is kind of a side trip. So these are going to be side trips in between all the eps, not downward deep dives. <laughs> you laughed at me for that happening to me the other day when my coaster stuck to my... Well... Yeah, well, you know what? It comes around. Yeah, what, com- what goes around comes around, and uh, is there a biblical thing, like falling into your own trap, or like... There is. I can't think of it right now. Um... Or the right choices. Hoisted for this. by our own petard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, since I chose us, we have yeah, to be. Yeah, we have to be. If people want to go much deeper, uh, you can find. I, I don't know. Do you recommend? I do recommend Derek Thomas. Yeah. Um, and it's free at the moment, even though you can you go to the page and it's like buy this on DVD. Uh, if you go to Ligonier Ministries, just look up Ligonier Derek Thomas Pilgrim's Progress on Google, and you can either listen to or watch uh, his, his uh, really spectacular lectures on. Every aspect, going all the way through both parts. Uh, And he'll give you the background stuff we're not going to cover. You know, like this person probably was, you know, an homage to his pastor. Or this is from his life. We're not going to get into that. Nerd stuff. Yeah, Yeah. we're not scholars on this topic. Mm -hmm. And if you want uh, some of... And there's no end to the resources out there. But if you want... Uh, audio versions that'll just pop into your feed of Spurgeon and Alexander White, probably a little bit more accomplished of an Alexander, but only by a little bit. <laughs> um, all you have to do is uh, go on Patreon, and that'll be the only plug for that. <laughs> but any level of patron uh, gets all, all those uh, audio resources for going deeper and understanding deeper. Uh, one more logistical thing. The sound quality on these is going to be quite different from uh, the rest of the episodes in that those are done in a dry room with a really high-end mic, and these are done in a church office, a functioning church office, yeah. uh, with a little hand recorder. And probably you're going to hear the phone ring, and we're just going to leave it in. Authentic. People will come. Boy Scouts are right. going to come in here. There's actually four congregations that meet in this building mm-hmm. from four different continents. So maybe you know, you'll know hear like foreign languages in the background. Wouldn't that be exciting? That would be exciting. Cosmopolitan. Yeah. So, it's going to be uh, raw. This is the raw stuff. This is the this is the good stuff. Uh, so, Mr. Sagacity, then, uh, let's, by the way, a character that you won't ever hear in this uh, serialized version. You made the cut. The problem is, I said in a really long video on the Patreon page introducing the project that no one listened all the way through mm-hmm. um, because it was like 15 minutes long, and that's a thousand <laughs> that's, years now. That's too long. It's too long for that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. On Kickstarter, it's got to be like three minutes with like nine <laughs> words. But uh, I said I wasn't going to cut anything that, that Bunyan put in, but I said I was going to update the telling of the story without changing the story or cutting anything from the story. And I think if you lose Mr. Sagacity, who's just a narrator, walking along inside a dream, right. like your dreams are so boring that they're just a guy telling you what happened. <laughs> um, but that, I think, is a good... Uh, 
maybe segue to how I want to talk about at the beginning of each of these real briefly just kind of the maybe the space between the episode that you've just heard and the raw text of the Pilgrim's Progress where there's a difference and why um, the main thing I think here is that there's no dream involved mm-hmm. right and that's usually the case when you when you hear a, a, if you watch a movie or whatever they're not going to show a guy like fall asleep fall and then asleep. do the like doodle, 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 right. like gets waving right. lines and do you think you lose anything by losing that and why do you think Bunyan continued to like double down on that in fact, we were because we, we're doing a uh, read through this with our our men's small group uh, on Sunday nights, and last night we got to a part together where he wakes up at the end of one uh, section, one yeah. stage, and then the first thing that happens at the beginning of the next stage is he just, just falls right back back. to sleep. This guy is like a dormouse. Yeah, you know, he's just so sleepy little guy. It's it's uh it's not a good storytelling uh, vessel, really. Other than how else would have any of this happened? Maybe he's except for a dreaming. He's protecting against like everyone can know that it's not going to be a twist ending where it was all just a dream because you already know. Right, it was all you already just know a it's a dream. It's like Wizard yeah. of Oz, right? In a way, I but, guess. Not, but not, but not at all. But do you think it adds anything? I mean, do you think there's any benefit to it? Probably not. I think you could have just kicked off the story yeah, with just a guy. with just a guy. He, he kicks it off with an apology, which we also didn't mm-hmm. do, which is in, in kind of rhyme couplets about, like, listen, guys, I'm doing this allegory, and I don't care what you think about it, mm-hmm. and other people have done it, and it's not any worse than the stuff you guys do for your theology. Um, and I think that would have sufficed to, like, separate right. the story, you know, and, and say, I'm not, this isn't me turning the Bible into a myth or a legend. Mm-hmm. It's me using this mythological storytelling device to illustrate the Bible. Hmm. I, I got to tell you this. My introduction initially in life to the Pilgrim's Progress was when I was five. Mm-hmm. I was I was in now I was a musical kid. You know, I met my wife in a in a musical in high school. Yeah, you seem um, like it. Yeah, yeah, theater yeah. theater guy. I don't theater know what guy. I don't know what you mean by that, but I'm gonna not delve further. A lot of things. <laughs> I, as at five years old at church, we had a really really great. Uh, it was a pastor's wife. She did the kids musicals, and they were like legit productions, right? For a small church. And we did this thing called The Enchanted Journey, which I've introduced a little to you uh, yeah. of that. Um, and it's the story. And at the beginning, so it's these kids that are, it's Saturday night. One of them spending the night at the other's house. Mm-hmm. They are spo- they realize, oh, we were supposed to read that Pilgrim's Progress for Sunday school tomorrow. <laughs> right. Because that's how Sunday school As works. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you read 100,000 words. Also and, homework. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to do it. For yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. That's happening. So they're like, crud, we forgot. And they like get under the bed and like turn on flashlights. And they're reading Pilgrim's Progress. And then they fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And one of them has a dream of the whole story with the other kids. I think it was maybe more kids, like a sleepover party or whatever. Uh, other kids involved as the characters. So then, I, I, at the time, I went to like a super fundamentalist Baptist school. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that school, they decided to do the same thing. So even though I was in kindergarten and not really eligible, they're like, you know the songs, you can be in this. I don't, I don't want to say that I was a prodigy in theater, but it sort of sounds like I might have been. Um, you could say I was. You could say it sounds like I was. It sounds like you were a prodigy. You didn't have to say that. Thanks. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that you did. Um, and but the funny thing was I noticed right away that they had added. So, like, the kids fall asleep. Mm-hmm. In, in real fundamentalist Baptist circles, there's kind of a real, like, fear of anything kind of fantasy. Okay. Um, that, that's where Dungeons and Dragons is, sure. like, killing, like, 80,000 kids. Because this was during the Satanic Panic in the 80s. You right. know, the early sure. 80s when I was in kindergarten. Um, so, like... They're they're very worried about that. They're you know these are also people who are very worried about Veggie Tales confusing kids and stuff. Wow! And so they added 
<laughs> a another dream. It was like Inception. So like <laughs> the kid falls asleep, and then he sees Bunyan yeah. fall asleep. Wow. And then you're like, well, how does he see Bunyan's dream? Like I don't even understand what's going on there. So so I I cut yeah. all the dreams. Forget the dreams. Yeah. Nobody's dreaming here. This We're is not just dreamers. Happening. Yeah. You may say I'm a dreamer, yeah. but I'm not. Yeah. And don't say it. The only one. That's the lyric. I wouldn't know that song. <laughs> no, but it ends here with, but I'm not. I'm not a dreamer. Okay. Uh, and neither is Bunyan in, in this uh, particular iteration. The second thing would be that there's a cold open of, uh, you know, something exciting. Mm -hmm. And that is because <laughs> the, the actual book begins with a rather lengthy description of a man standing, staring off into mm -hmm. the distance. And, and all of it has meaning and all of it's good, but they just hadn't learned how to start a story yet. You know, how to grab somebody and pull them mm -hmm. in. There were like nine books in the world and they were like, <laughs> it's on paper, people will read it. We don't have to draw them in. <laughs> nine books in the world. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and so uh, I, I went ahead, it reminded me a little bit, and he's never going to listen to this so I can tell you this. Uh, Ted Cluck and I wrote a, a satirical book together, actually with my wife too, in the first part, we, we would mm -hmm. round robin it. He did the first one. It was supposed to be this over the top, you've read it, I mm -hmm. think, it was supposed to be the over top action thing. And uh, the whole first chapter, because he's like a memoirist, like creative nonfiction, yeah. is a guy looking in the mirror at himself. Yeah. And you get all this information and it's really well written, but I was like, I'm going to write a prologue that goes before this because no one's going to keep with it if this is the very beginning, yeah. except for really thinky types, you know, like you. Um, so I think that that was kind of the idea. Just Give you a little, like, don't worry, people uh, yeah. fighting dragons is coming. Mm -hmm. uh, don't don't be... The fact Stick with it. Most of this is just, like, people at dinner mm -hmm. whining. Is, <laughs> that would turn you off. Um, thirdly, I did add a little section with the ill-favored ones, which you didn't remember, I realized. I did not, no. They're from part two. So the, the thing where they're, like, he has a dream. So it's a dream within a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it was that musical, it'd be a dream within a dream within a dream. Within a dream yeah. Where time goes, like, really slow. And now we're getting crazy. Yeah, yeah. So get, cut the dreams, except this one, where um, the two ill-favored ones, later in part two, near the beginning, Christiana has a dream that uh, of the two ill-favored ones trying to, like, hold her back from going on pilgrimage. And right. then she and Mercy and the kids, I guess, um, encounter the same guys and they like try to force themselves on them and it's like right. really someone comes I'm not going to spoil it it's a really exciting scene um, so apparently in the six years between the first part and the second part Bunyan had I don't know read Frank Peretti books or something and <laughs> this notion of <laughs> right there was then nine books in the world <laughs> six of them were by Peretti yeah, the others were by yeah. Jerry B. Jenkins um, but I think that uh, he he realized in between that like it's not just when you set off on pilgrimage that the enemy is going to say, I got to slow you down and stop you and, and tie you up. Yeah. Beforehand, there's going to be, you know, a concerted effort to keep people from ever even going on it because that's, the, if I can keep you in my domain, yeah. the city of destruction. So that was the idea that there's unseen forces go, working mm -hmm. against him um, and just kind of making some continuity between those two things. Um, and then, gosh, that I guess, I guess... In the original uh, text, there's just a lot of description of sometimes they did this, sometimes they ignored him, sometimes they mocked him, sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I kind of try to boil it all together into a scene of like an intervention. Right. Which I thought was kind of funny, but in a really dark really way. really clever. Yeah. I also thought, 
it's probably not going to be funny at all to some people for whom this has been kind of a reality, where people mm-hmm. in their lives, as they were coming to faith, were like, listen, this is not okay. This isn't good. You're yeah. being really drawn into some kind of culty, weird, you know, it, it's ironic to me that the world can look at our faith where, you know, they're in bondage to sin and for all their talk of free thought, they're anything but mm-hmm. free in their thought or their free love, they're anything but free in their, you know, right. but look at the Christian faith and say, wow, you're really giving into something nutty, you know, yeah, yeah. and I'm worried about you. And mm-hmm. it, it seems to probably come from somewhere of sincere concern, but also fueled by the flesh, the world, yeah. and maybe the devil in saying, I, I got to... It really, the the sound he hears of all his neighbors mm-hmm. and all and his family calling him, "Don't go, don't go, don't go," yeah. is um, a reality throughout Christian history for probably more more often than not, right? Yeah, I think that I think a big part of it is fear, uh, because if it's true for you, it could be true for me, mm. and I don't want to think that way, you know. So so I don't want to think about destruction, and I don't want to think about you know, this comfortable, nice place that we live, uh, it ever going away, um, anything ever being taken away from me. And if you're going to tell me that that's a reality, then I'm better off writing you off, making fun of you, mm-hmm. cutting you out of my life, you know, um, yeah. which I think is what they do to them. You know, they... Yeah, that, that's not funny at all. I don't know why I thought that, that there could be a... <laughs> I, think, I think it's absurd. It's, it's not ha-ha <laughs> right. ha funny. Right. There's an absurdity to it. Um, and especially uh, a clergyman. And Bunyan's not... Mm-hmm. Like, the people who represent pastors he's known... And, of course, Bunyan then became the pastor of the church in, in Bedford, even while he was in jail for a while. But, like, um, if you're called reverend yeah. in the Pilgrim's Progress, you're probably not right. really a pilgrim. Yeah. And I think there is a certain aspect growing in the world more and more of, well, I have a church I belong to, and... They tell me I don't need to worry about mm. destruction, judgment, sin, whatever, sure. any of that negative vibes. You know, it's positive vibes only religion. And certainly, you know, when you when you get to a Reverend, who is he? Reverend Two Tongues? Is that the one in the City of Fair Speech? Um, pretty much anybody who's... Mm-hmm. And, and we have reference to um, Mr. Worldly Wiseman, who will be in right. the, the next episode. Uh, he goes to church all the time in legality. Mm-hmm. He lives in the mm-hmm. town of Carnal Policy, right. but he, he's a commuter. He goes yeah, all the way he's to a commuter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where because he goes there because mm-hmm. it's easier, right? You mm-hmm. don't have any of the. He's never smelled the slough of despond except on somebody else. He doesn't mm-hmm. know. Um, and now we're getting ahead of ourselves, but like it's an easier way to go. So I thought that that might be uh, in introducing right off the bat the notion of yeah, there's churches here, even though. We were talking about how Bunyan, in his allegory, kind of, he's a little sloppy. Because yeah. people pray, but mm-hmm. then prayer is some is like, you know, represented allegorically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, <laughs> well, Get the, let's explain the sheep thing. The sheep, uh, they come across shepherds, and the sheep are, uh, are the sheep of God, which Jesus died for. But they're actually sheep. And then you have humans. And then that, you have humans that are talking about it. How Jesus died for them. Died for them. And so yeah. it's a so it's it, it gets a little and that's a we'll try to fix all that as we go right. as much as possible. But um, in this world there are churches, but most of them, as I don't know, I'm a very ecumenical guy like Bunyan was. Mm-hmm. But I'd probably say at this point most of them existing in the world today, most churches, at least most you know self-professed churches with church on the sign, right, are going to lead you 
on a different road than the narrow way. Yeah. They're not going to say, go toward the light, don't go to left or right, go to the wicket gate. They're not going to point you on the narrow way and say, mm-hmm. give up everything for this, the celestial city. There's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I think especially with this intervention scene, you see it, you know, let's disregard scripture, disregard hard teachings and hard things. Or just it's put okay. on the, sorry, go ahead. You know, the, you know, the toothy grin mm-hmm. and, you know, you'll smile at people, open with a joke, everything's going to be fine. Um, and you're now the odd person. You're the odd one out. Look at the room, read the room. We're all fine. We're all happy. And there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to fix that. And let me uh, open up a, a different portion of scripture and show you why you should be happy. Right, yeah, that's what uh, I was going to say. Maybe not even don't look at that book, but mm-hmm. uh, let me tell you what to ignore in that book. Yeah. And I think that any side of the spectrum is going to have a tendency to try to ignore or, or kind of paint over aspects of the, the, what the scriptures say, and we mm-hmm. have to guard against that. Uh, but I think the most popular way to do that has always been don't worry about um, anything that might indicate God is displeased with you. Right. Because, hey, haven't you heard God is love? And that is the only thing the Bible says about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's going to be the one little attempt by religion mm-hmm. to, to, to get him before he actually heads out on pilgrimage, and then along the way, there's going to be a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of this stuff is worldly religion, man-based religion that that he encounters. Would you agree on, with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that um, I think even I think even his interaction here is so clearly, you know, man-made religion. Uh, it's it's so it's so people-centric, and he's not talking about God at all. He's not talking about uh, any kind of displeasure, like you said, um, or or at least no kind of displeasure that can't be solved in yourself. Right, yeah. Never never a looking outwardly, never looking towards a cross at all, always looking inward towards yourself. Find some kind of law, find some kind of loophole, uh, and then that's how you get around um, uh, really self-sacrifice, right? putting yourself down, lifting Christ up. Yeah, follow uh, your heart. Right. Follow your yeah, heart. Yeah. Look inside your heart yeah. where you'll find uh, condemnation and a broken law. Yeah. And the, look in your heart, which is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. And boom, you've got the answer there. Instead mm-hmm. of you've got the problem there and look to the cross to find. I think the the burden is, it represents, it's obviously, I mean, it's conviction of sin and it's the weight of that. But it's it's him looking into his heart mm-hmm. and going, there's just more problem here. Yeah. Every time I go to church, I'm told, look in my heart. And every time I look in it, I'm not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's that great, uh, I don't know if you know Adam Ford, uh, whose website is Adam Ford and then a D because it's clever.com. Right. Uh, he's here, here in the, the high five state and uh, he does all those web comics. Um, I think he actually invented the Babylon Bee too, but then he sold so. it later yeah. on. I like his web comics better actually. But uh, he, <laughs> he had one where. Um, he, this little kid is asking his mom, like, what should I do in this situation? And she says, just follow your heart. And mm-hmm. he says, okay, heart. Right. The, heart, the picture of the heart just kills me. It's got, like, <laughs> the, like, uh, scumbag Steve backwards baseball cap from right. the old meme. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, just, like, so, like, people can't see my face, but you can. Yeah. It's like this. Yeah. No, it's, uh, like, like <laughs> happily evil and, like, mischievous. And it just says, sin. <laughs> and then, and then the, last, the last frame is the kid, like, 
so happy you thumbs up like oh yeah. I'll follow that yeah um and and this is this way this pilgrim way is the opposite of that hmm. and is there anything more ba- blasphemous than presenting the gospel as the opposite of the gospel yeah I mean not according to the apostles <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah woe uh, to you Galatians I mean yeah. how did you flip so soon and you know look at I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon and I'm going to but you look at like I'll do it all of our <laughs> all of our uh, Ivy League colleges and things right mm-hmm. That started, look at the history of Brown University sure. or Harvard or all yeah. these. Uh, Brown was like, where Adam I'm Judson went is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a, after whom our, our church is named, uh, the great missionary uh, pioneer, because mm-hmm. uh, it was a Baptist school. Or you know, All these are Puritan schools are all about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And you look at their charters and all these things and then how quickly they turn mm-hmm. and become affirm everything that you find in your heart and affirm everything everyone finds in their heart or else. And that's freedom. Mm-hmm. And if that were really freedom and Christian had found it, or graceless as he says he was known, mm-hmm. he would never have had to leave. He could have stayed yeah. stayed with his family and been happy. And Jesus is a liar. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jesus is absolutely, yeah. yeah. Don't don't pay him lip service by going to any church then. Mm-hmm. Make sure that yeah, you let everyone know not to listen to him. Yeah. Because according to the Old Testament, then if he says a little of this stuff that doesn't pan out, forget yeah. it. You know? Yeah. Um, the... the Rest of what I want to do is go through the just go through the texts because most uh, versions you're going to get of the Pilgrim's Progress will have footnotes or parenthetical stuff, and they're going to um, point you toward texts to help you kind of see. Bunyan didn't do these, but they were done fairly early, and they're fairly standardized. Um, and so I'll put I'll put them in the like show notes. I hate that term. I think that's like people who <laughs> podcast trying to sound like NPR or something. But um, uh, on the the website, uh, and also we'll we'll kind of read them and, and go through them. Most of them are self explanatory. Some of them we might talk about. But before we even read the text, I think one theological slash practical thing that after reading or listening to the first section, we have to acknowledge. It seems messed up that mm. this guy leaves his family. That right. they're calling out, please don't go, Dad. And he mm-hmm. plugs his ears and keeps on running because he wants something for him, which is, you know, he's got to follow. Now, with any other, you know, someone going to join the circus or something, anyone else saying, i got to do what's right for me. I'm leaving my family. We would say that's yeah. horrendous. Yeah. And I think we have to, well, first of all, we're going to get to a text at the end about what Jesus said about hating your and that's a that's a tough one. So we'll end on that. That's but uh, hating your uh, you know children and wife and mother and father and family for my sake. But also I think we have to acknowledge he's not really leaving his family. This is right. an allegory. Mm-hmm. He's leaving on pilgrimage. He's starting a spiritual journey without them. But clearly he still lives in the house. You know, like in quote unquote the real world. Mm-hmm. This guy still lives with his family. He's his his example as a Christian is sanctifying them, as Paul says. Yeah. Uh, his unbelieving yeah. wife, his children. Um, it's clear when you get to part two that she knows everywhere he's been. Yeah. Along the way, because she was in the house with him when he was in the slough of despond, when he was in despair or the castle, doubting castle with the, yeah. the giant. Mm-hmm. She's seen it all, and she. She feels bad at the beginning of, spoiler alert, the beginning of the second part because of some of the stuff that she's done and how, how close, closed she was to him and, and kind of cruel sometimes. So he hasn't left his family unless, yeah. and I had this thought just this morning, and I want your take. This is going to be a hot take because that's a okay. fresh idea. All right. It depends how autobiographical this is. Now, Bunyan's second wife 
is definitely Christiana, I think, uh, who we modeled after because she was a wonderful Christian woman who cared for his children while he was in jail, mm-hmm. raised them up, taught them the, the faith. I wonder, though, if, if this is super autobiographical, is it possible that his leaving the family was kind of his, his also being thrown into Bedford jail for 12 years where he wrote most of the Pilgrim's Progress and his family saying, please don't, you know, don't double down on this unsanctioned okay. church meetings. Yeah. Just tell them what they want to hear. Stay with us. Hmm. And you don't have to leave us. Is that possible? That his I mean, going away is really his going away? I mean, Christian's beginning cry, though, you know, like, where you find him is unsaved. Yeah. Right. Where you find him is fully unsaved. lost. Yeah. Fully lost. So if it, it the, how autobiographical is that then? Are we saying that he was saved before the Christian woman that he marries? R- right. You know, because because from what I remember, she is already a Christian and kind of rubs off on him. And then he goes to jail. Yeah. It seems that his first wife. She she had these spiritual books that were the only dowry because they were poor. They read them together, and Bunyan doesn't seem to have really come to faith until much yeah. later. So so yeah, I guess it, it in that way it's not that autobiographical. Yeah. Um, I guess I, what I, I mean, was kind of getting at was to... there might be a sense in which he had this idea that uh, coming to faith hmm. will mean for many a physical separation from your family. Right. Hmm. And and so you know he wasn't there for the death of his his daughter, whom yeah. he lo- his oldest blind daughter, whom he loved. Uh, he wasn't probably there for some first steps. He probably wasn't there for you know well maybe he was for those, but like for different milestones and things. Yeah. Um. He, there was some a lot to give up, and and so I guess I don't want to paint the picture of he leaves them behind only in the sense that he's religious and they're not. Maybe I mean definitely there's more to it than that. Hmm. You know, he leaves behind his former relationship with them, right? It seems like they no longer have as close a tie. Yeah, well, I I think that it becomes clear that the most important thing in the world to Christian becomes, um, you know, you know, getting to this cross, getting this weight off his back, um, serving his new master, getting to the celestial city, staying on the narrow road. You know, you know, these are his primary goals. These are the things he thinks about and prays about and really, truly wants most of all. And he doesn't have a person in his spouse or his children that value those things. So your relationship isn't going to be the same. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 going to be casual conversation, if that even can still exist. Right, without, yeah. Seemingly with them, without kind of dissolving into some level of bickering or making fun of him mm-hmm. or talking down to him talking down to mm-hmm. him um, because I think that I think to follow Christ uh, impacts you and changes you in such a radical way that it is bothersome to to people especially if you're living with them 24/7 you know yeah I feel um, like you think you're better than me yeah or I'm just tired of all the you know, like, why are you pouring your life into this fairy tale, this nonsense? Yeah. Uh, you're squandering your potential. There's so many different forms that could take, mm-hmm. and none of them are really going to be conducive to a, a, a getting closer as a as a married couple. Yeah, I think I think I think maybe some of them kind of make sense. Uh, how much was he helping with the kids if he's wandering around the fields? You know, mm-hmm. just 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 kind of feeling bad for himself, and you know, you know, just just spending all of his time just 
rereading this book and never coming up with an answer and never making any progress. I mean, what does her life look like at that point then? I mean, it seems that she was taking on a brunt of yeah. everything. Right. Uh, I could see how that could be incredibly stressful uh, as a spouse. Um, Jesus warns us about all of this, by the way, yeah. in the Gospels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's very, yeah. even in the, uh, and I, I don't mean this to um, imply that we can't take the, the words of Christ at face value all the time, but he does tend toward hyperbole. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking about the plank in the eye and that kind of yeah. stuff. It, often kind of even funny pictures. And a lot of that, like really extreme language comes into, um, in fact, we'll get to the thing about hate your, your father, mother, whatever. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the sword. I bring a sword. You mm-hmm. know, the guy's enemies will be his own household. Yeah. And in that case... Uh, I don't think we're in most cases. I don't, maybe maybe sometimes. I mean, you read about it in Muslim countries and things, people right. killing their children because they come to faith or whatever. I think that's the exception, not the rule, certainly. But it happens. This stuff happens where there's just there was a tenuous harmony. You know, mm-hmm. we're all kind of head in the clouds. Everything's fine because everything's yes. fine in the moment. Yeah. Now I have been there for when a family in in that kind of state, the bottom falls out and they have nothing to hold on to. Yeah. And it's very common for families that were in relative harmony to turn on each other right away because hmm. they don't have anything to hold on to together. So they were just kind of like, you know, floating together. And then now they're in free fall and, and they turn on each other. Um, does this reading this make you more thankful for a wonderful believing wife where you can raise your children together? Where like your story, my story is the whole family. Mm-hmm. On the Pilgrim Road together. Yeah. And you don't even see that in Pilgrim's Progress. You see this guy going alone, kind of struggling to find someone to connect with. He finds a guy, loses him, finds another guy, and is longing for his wife to be on the road with him. Then you find this woman who's like, I missed out. Missed out mm-hmm. on the chance to walk the Pilgrim Road with him. Yeah. And there's regret. It's It makes me very thankful that uh, my life turned out by God's grace and, and providence such that I was a believer when I got married and married a, a believing woman. Yeah, I, I think that I think that you see you see you see Eve as like helper in a whole new way, you know, a whole more valuable, precious way than just someone to keep you um I'll say comfortable, but like just not lonely, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean I mean I, I can't really even begin to fathom because every time I think about it I think about new ways or my wife has pushed me along in my sanctification or I watch my wife do things that I know I should be doing and I should be leading her in that or like mm-hmm. you know um, or she pulls you out of the swamp yeah, my wife yeah, has done know, that lots of times yes. yes because they're walking along and they're going through the exact same things as you are and they have a legitimate actual ability to sympathize with you because they're your wife and your sister in Christ mm-hmm. and they understand and you know you know they feel the weight of sin and they understand what it is to be broken and fallen and uh, tempted um, and it's really comforting to know that you have that you have that and you can always just turn over in bed and look at that person and say I'm struggling with this I have this problem let's pray together mm-hmm. let's do you don't have that you know uh, it, it, when you're unevenly yoked or if you know um, you come to faith later and you're all yeah. alone. Um, there is, I mean, there's certainly value in in saying I can stay here and be the presence of the gospel for yeah. this person, uh, sanctify them, um, continue to love them, you know, as Christ loves the church. Uh, but I think that there's a, an irony here of like the, the world often points at the church and says that we, 
you know, in our marriages, think very, right. these very like stark, awful, impersonal ways about, you know, and there are certainly places where the, the ideas of marital roles and things are, hmm. are off base. But I would say that for the unbeliever who has no foundation, no bedrock, ultimately the way that, that marriage is spoken of and family is spoken of is kind of a, a transactional, ultimately at the end of the day, you make me feel good. You affirm in me what I, you know, and I, and I, for you, I make you feel good about yourself and about life. And I, and you know, I'm there so that, you know, we kind of have this arrangement. Um, and there's, there's biblical beauty in that too. Two are better than one. One falls down, the other helps them up. But you don't have the, the beautiful picture of mm -hmm. the mystical union between Christ and his church. Yeah. You don't have the same kind of closeness. You don't have the same kind of intimacy um, and a Christian never has that in his pilgrimage. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of sad, but it's also an awesome story because it works out well. Where the first one winds up being this really just like John McClane, lone wolf, hmm. this guy out there, right? And he's not ready for it, but he's got a sword. Yeah, he's got some people watching his back. You know, he's you know if we want to take the diehard thing more, he's got an Al Powell on the. Right. No, don't do that. Um, <laughs> and, and then the second one becomes more of a, a story of a church. You mm -hmm. know, because they're picking up people as they go. Yeah, it's a family story. There's there's a notion of family discipleship and probably family fam and definitely family worship. worship and all this. Yeah. And so you get kind of two different angles on what a pilgrimage looks like. Um, let's look at these texts here. Uh, the I'll, I'll read them and you respond to them. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. We're making this up as we go, everybody. So when we meet Christian, he's wearing rags. That's one of the first things we're told about him. His face is pointed out away from his house, which is the is obvious symbolism there. Um, and the reference is given for his, his being clothed in rags uh, is... And by the way, did you think it was clever? I thought it was clever how I had his clothes getting more and more disgusting yeah. and ragged because he yeah. can't take off his shirt. Yeah. It would be impossible if you have a a, a unremovable burden. Bag, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I thought like that was a golem little... thing. But yeah, that might yeah, be too clever. Breaking it down. No, it works. I think, I think it really works. So Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. That is, that's better poetry than Bunyan ever wrote. <laughs> that's one of our favorite things in the Derek <laughs> Thomas things. Um, we, we watch those with our small group, and he's always just... He's really dogging on, yeah. dunking on the, the bad poetry that <laughs> Bunyan writes. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. everybody has their strength. And, and by the way, I think that uh, how I understand it, it was, it was quite improved already by an editor. Oh, okay. Oh, and I just learned not that long ago, uh, it was actually John Owen who got this thing published. Nobody wanted it. Owen oh, was wow. an admirer of John Bunyan and went to his publisher and said, you got you to gotta do this. So thank you. Thank John Owen, amongst everything else, for getting us this this text. Um, wow. That's a pretty damning view of... Mm. Uh, I mean, and this is a first-person plural about mm -hmm. all of us. Yeah. By a prophet. Mm -hmm. You know, a guy... I mean, he's very, very aware of how his lips are unclean. He needs to be kind of repurified every time he's recommissioned in the scriptures. But, wow, if he... If a prophet of God can say, we're all unclean, Mm -hmm. Our righteous deeds are a polluted garment, yeah. or elsewhere like filthy rags in his sight. Um, then I think there's nobody who, by their own righteousness, can say they're they're ready to walk into God's presence. Yeah. Well, you know, you know that that first gift I think he's given maybe is the ability to look down and see maybe how he's 
actually dressed, how mm-hmm. he's really dressed, as opposed to how you think you're dressed and you think you're perfect. Uh, you look down, you, you, you see for the first time how disgusting and utterly broken you actually are, and that's how you look. Which is hate speech, what you just yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope you don't ch- teach any I'm, children to, to think this way. I'm full of it. it yeah. But it's not you saying that. It's it, you would you would probably not take someone aside and say, "Listen, you're disgusting, and, and uh, right. your heart is is like a polluted garment." Well, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. It depends on the situation. But the spirit mm. using the law, yeah, at work in people convicts of sin. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, he has. Of course, it's a picture of him just wandering around, going, "What am I going to do?" Yeah. He's <laughs> he's looked down at his. Uh, he thought that he was dressed nicely. Yeah, he, he thought that he was ready yeah. to go and, and, and an upstanding member of the community. Now he's like, I can't even, I can't go to a town council meeting and say my piece. They'll laugh me out of the. I'm disgusting yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. So re- regarding his burden, uh, the text given is Psalm 38:4. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden; they are too heavy for me. That's that's perfectly yeah descriptive. I think. Mm-hmm. It, like, th- this is something you, I think that. Bunyan doesn't acknowledge that continues after you come to faith, right? Hmm. His burden's removed, and that is a beautiful picture, and it's it's perfect in in its theology, I think. Right. But later on, you know, when you when you fall back into sin, you feel that burden again. But the beautiful part is, you know, that you don't have to like struggle and search and and uh, all you need for it to be removed is First John one, you know, to confess your sins and be cleansed and yeah, it, it's interesting. He doesn't feel it as a burden like that. It isn't. It doesn't become something building up on his back. You know, when he does fall or he makes mistakes, right. or he's he not like, oh no, scroll. the burden's back. I'm back at square one. Yeah, he loses his scroll. He leaves a narrow road. He, you know, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't come back. Um, he does weep. He's sorry yeah, for yeah, it, but exactly. the burden is, it's the a different nature. It's a different mm-hmm. thing because it's, yes, it's not like a, a thing that will drag him down into hell or yeah. the tofet, as he says. Um, so yeah, the, the, like he, he, he's so upset when he falls asleep mm-hmm. in that glen or clearing or whatever they, they call it, um, where he does leave behind the thing. So, and, yeah. and just the very fact that he fell asleep and he beats himself up for a long time. Yeah. I wish there had been some aspect in the allegory of confession and absolution but it can't yeah. do everything. You can't. You can't say you should have done everything in the whole Bible in your. <laughs> <laughs> or you know where um, when Apollyon is like coming at him with all of his failures and all of his wrongs, it isn't build up on his back. He just right. goes, "This is true." You know, yeah. taking what care you're of. saying it's is done. true, but it's taken care of. You know, you know, you know, knowing knowing that your sins are done away with, put away with, as far as the east from the west. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, having that knowledge in your mind, I think it doesn't allow that burden to grow. You know, um, yeah, it's that Luther uh, line when the devil throws your sins in your face and tells you you deserve mm-hmm. death and hell. Say what of it? Right. For I know one who has made a, a satisfaction in my place. His name is Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. Just, just a beautiful uh, a, a way that. And, and really, if if he had met Apollyon with the burden, right, that would have been he a very been short done. fight. Yeah, yeah, he would have been done. Yeah. Uh, so the the there's two texts here for what shall I do. Um, this is the question that he continually is asking himself initially. What shall I do? What shall I do? Uh, and then later it becomes, what must I do to be saved? Mm-hmm. Um, Acts sixteen thirty. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. The they, of course, is Paul and Silas uh, when they're in the Philippian jail. And uh, the, the earthquake opens the, the door 
And uh, are you laughing because I recorded both me yeah. saying Paul and Bi- yeah, Barnabas and Paul and Silas so that I could choose the one that's right? Well, I'm seeing all the sausages made here. <laughs> yeah. I'm well, seeing... I can do that in... <laughs> yeah. for like a Sunday school class. I could just yeah. say both. Just say both. People would only hear the right, right one. Yeah. It's Silas, right? Did you open it up? It's Silas. Uh, Judas. Silas is the one mentioned, so yeah. Okay, yeah. Or Judas. I don't know. Judas and Silas. <laughs> so Paul and Silas. Oh. Um, yeah, so, so they could leave. They could slip out of the prison. Instead, everyone stays. Dude's about to kill himself. I love that story so much. Good mm. grief. He's about to fall on his sword so that the Romans can't have fun doing it. Yeah. And he says, don't do anything. We're all here. Like, we value you more than we value our freedom, even though you are holding us in prison. And then his response is simply, what must I do to be saved? Yes. And their response is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Hmm. And his whole household believes. And then he apparently, with them, heads out on the pilgrim yeah. road of uh, being able to, to teach them about Jesus while they live life together. Hmm. Uh, and then Habakkuk 1, 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry out for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arise i probably would strike that from the footnotes that one seems i mean i guess it's in the in that wheelhouse but i, I don't remember a christian having this kind of low-key frustration and anger with god he's more angry with himself yeah yeah not that i could see i could see how it could be part of it i mean i mean really really st- Wanting, like genuinely wanting repentance to be given, mm-hmm. you know, you know, to like genuinely, I want to want to mm. yeah. change, you know, you know, you know, but I don't have, I don't have all the connecting pieces to figure out how to get there. And if you just have that weight, if you just have that weight presence, and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting right. and you're reading and you're reading and you're reading, and you don't have the interpreter yet, you don't have the evangelist yet, you don't have somebody to come along and to show you here's what you need to do like evangelist is going to come along right here's what you need to do here you know you know uh, i could see stress becoming very real yeah and it does it's a long road for him to get to the cross yeah which i like about this you know like it's it's sometimes presented as such a neat like and it does sometimes go this way you Mm -hmm. You, I don't know. I don't know how much you want to talk about your own life. You didn't even want to talk about your own opinions. But like mm-hmm. you're, I, I've gotten you to share your whole testimony on another podcast of mine. These go to eleven when I was host over there, so people can hear it. It's a matter of record. But like your your testimony could either be, I was hitting bottom and felt like I didn't even want to live. So I called my friend who was a Christian. He told me to throw myself at the mercy of Jesus. I did, and I was born again. Mm-hmm. Or you could start way earlier. Yeah. And, and I think everyone has kind of that twofold aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And his story, I mean, there is a time where, why do you make me see iniquity, i.e. give me this burden, Yeah. and then look uh, idly at wrong? Like, like, like there's, you're giving me knowledge of the problem without the solution. Yeah. And that is what causes him to not be able to sleep or, you know, to not like to even you know like nothing about life is satisfying anymore because this thing hangs there i think that there's some there's some real you know you know obviously it's from god so it is perfect strategy but it is a perfect strategy you know 
to let you stew in it, mm-hmm. to let you really think it over. To right. You find out there's nothing in you that will solve this yeah, problem. Because, because you're going to go to every avenue you can, and I'm going to go back to my sins, and I'm going to mm-hmm. go back to my pet things. This time I'll keep to... them under control, though. I'm, I'm yeah. going to be very careful with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it all lets you down again, uh, except for this time, or, or maybe for the first time, it's kind of been illuminated to you that this is a bigger problem than you thought it was. This isn't just that you're unhappy. You know, you know, this isn't just a moment of sadness. Right. This is something much deeper than that. And this is going to be um, on this side of the spirit or this side of the effectual calling. This is going to be the rest of your life. Unless you find a way to fix it, you're going to wander around the fields reading that same book over and over and over again like a zombie. And or maybe you'll wind up in a cage, but that's going right, to be later. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I mean... Like you said, with my testimony, that's exactly how it happened. The first thought is, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do? What do I need to run to? What kind of things do I need to start doing? You know? Um, a lot of people think, what do I need to take? Right, exactly. Can I get a prescription can that make this go away? Can I get a prescription? Can I get, you know, can I, can I self-medicate with something? Um, I, Even work or volunteer work or... yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, where can I give my money? Where can I give my time? That's going to make this unevenness in my Mm -hmm. life. Balance uh, the scales. Yeah, you know, uh, and and you slowly find that that's never going to be true again for you. It's never going to be peace. You know, you'll never have peace, peace. Um, And then it immediately, for me, all in the course of like a couple of nights... I went from fine and loving, uh, loving my life and all of my sins and, you know, uh, my girlfriend um, to just crying uh, and thinking, well, if I'm going to feel like this, then I'm just going to kill myself mm-hmm. because uh, I'm not going to live the rest of my life like this. Uh, and that's when it clicked that there was, even for a God that I didn't believe in, you know, or I believed I didn't believe in. Hmm. Um, even there, were, there, there was some kind of imbalance. There was something that wasn't correct, that wasn't right. And I had a guy who'd been telling me for a very long time, many, many, many years, that this is the truth. This is this imbalance. This is... Um, and, yeah, it became the cry of not just what must I do, realizing the answer to that is I can't do anything. So who do I have to go to then to be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? Um, yeah, it, it's... This part's always hit me really powerfully, I think, because of that. Because it happened just like that. And that's how I can remember it so clearly. I should have read before those... Um, <laughs> yeah. What shall I do would be uh, Acts 2.37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Um, which is, I think, uh, that, that's a general thing. Like they hear, this is Pentecost, right? Acts 2.37. Yes. This is this is preaching and they hear it in every tongue, which is yep. an awesome work of the Spirit. And they, they say, what shall we do? You can see how it would be more pointed when you were about to fall on your sword. These guys were yeah. just walking around on the street and somebody said something that made them go, oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're right. I have to address that. Uh, the Philippian jailer. Yeah. I, I've got to be, like, I was almost just dead a minute ago. Mm-hmm. How can I be saved? Yes. Um, so I think that's a progression th- there. Uh, then there's, and of course, Bunyan certainly presents it that way. The idea of judgment, um, he says to evangelist, 
I'm freaking out here because I, it's appointed unto man. Oh, wait, I, hold on, I'll read it from the text. Hebrews 9, 27. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Mm. That's like the best thing I've ever read. Right. <laughs> but Every the, time you read it. And the only yeah. part people quote is always the first part. Right. There's a point on a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. And that's what's on his mind. Yeah. And he says, I'm unable to do the former and unwilling to do the latter. Mm. Um, and I, I really like, too, evangelist, like he knows why. He still asks. He knows all the answers, but he Mm -hmm. still asks and he still listens. Uh, He doesn't jump ahead. I got the solution. He's like, I'm going to let you walk through this and kind of, like you said, stew in it a little bit. So I said, I think I said it backwards. He's unwilling to die and unable to face the judgment. The the text comes from uh, Job 16, 20 to 22. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of Mm -hmm. a man, he pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. Only a few years will pass before I go on the journey of no return. So he's unwilling because he understands he, he's he got no intercessor. He's got no one who's going to stand in, in the, the space between him and God. He's just got him with his tattered rags and his burden on his back. Mm. And he doesn't know how much time he's got before he's going to stand before God. And, and he's got it on good authority, this book in his hand. This is happening, and possibly soon. And of course, he's unable, he says, to face judgment, to stand under God's judgment. Ezekiel twenty-two fourteen. Will your courage endure, or your hands be strong in the day I deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Uh, and I think that's a question, that's a verse that could be read to a lot of people when you are sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And you say, you know, when you stand before Sorry, God, man. what will you say? Or something like that. Yeah. That's kind of an old D. James Kennedy kind of way to do it. Uh, I've seen it work. I've had it work for me. Uh, I don't know in the postmodern world how well it works, but uh, when someone says, and I think this is still the default response, I'll tell him I am who I am. Right. right? I'm not ashamed of much that I've done. I did more good than bad. I, if, if I sinned or I was sinful, it's because he made me that way, so it's not mm. my fault. I'll throw that back in his face. And they have all these answers ready to go. And the question via the prophet Ezekiel, eh, but will this courage, this boldness endure or your hands be strong in the day I deal with you? Like when you stand before, when, when the, the Christ at whose uh, very name every knee will bow and every tongue yes. will confess Jesus Christ is Lord, you really think you're going to stand up and eloquently like make the Jerry Maguire speech to your creator? Yeah, right. Everyone has a plan until they get punched, right? <laughs> everyone has a, Everyone has that... Perfect concept. That who are you quoting thing. there? That's Mike Tyson. Oh, right. Everyone right. has a plan before they get. Yeah, and then you get yeah. Punched. So and your then trainer it, and you and the people you, that you're you're uh, doing the the sparring with, you're all working out your philosophy. Yeah. And then you get one Tyson fist that one really rocks good, your world, and yeah, that and plan's you, gone. And then yeah. you need to adapt, and you need to change. And but you know, as far as boxing goes, but um, I think that when you when you're when you're standing before the face of God. And perfection is the line that's being drawn, and you're not going to be able to argue yourself to perfection. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to, even your logic and these things that are being bent by sin aren't going to be able to even reach close to the line that's set for you. Um, it, it, yeah, it, I, I think it's a good follow-up to that, is that, you know, okay, but do you really think you're going to be able to stand before God? 
read the horrifying images of God or just people that are getting glimpses. And yeah, like or even just the them. angels, right? They always yeah. have to say, don't be afraid. And that's a tiny, tiny fraction of the, I mean, it's not even a fraction of the infinite glory of, of the one true God. Transfiguration, right? You're seeing Christ in his glory. Yeah, just and pull back for a second. Like here's All a little... on their face, as if dead, right? Um, the resurrection. Ezekiel doesn't even want to, or uh, uh, Isaiah doesn't even want to talk. Mm-hmm. Right? Put the call in my mouth. I can't even talk to you. Peter, who a moment earlier was very bold, now yeah. down on his face, away from me, for yeah. I'm a sinful man. Yeah. And you're going to argue with him? And you're going to say what he says about you is wrong? Because you know you better? You know? You know you better. Yeah. <laughs> That's an insane thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he tells him, I, I'm sure that this burden on my back will drag me lower than the grave. Uh, or the the text that is quoted, and I think the original text of the Pilgrim's Progress says Tophet, mm-hmm. which for whatever reason, whenever I see that word, uh, I think of that guy from that '70s show who's like Tof- Topher, Topher, Topher Grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, this is this is uh, Tophet with no grace uh, situation here. Now it's not something to be cute about. I don't know why I tried to do it. It's because I'm a dad and a guy. pastor. You got yeah, you're a cute guy. <laughs> Uh, the, the text is definitely Isaiah thirty thirty three because that's where we have this word. Tophet has long been prepared. It has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord, like a steam of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. I don't understand. Um, you know, certain recent authors told me that, that uh, the Pharisees made up the idea of hell. And when Jesus right. talks about it, he was just uh, yeah. like goofing with them uh, <laughs> or showing them the absurdity of their own notions. But yeah, it seems to be frequently, uh, whether we want to admit it or not, uh, at least acknowledged, mm-hmm. uh, especially later in the Old Testament, he, he has a sense of his own coming judgment. Yes. And and so he's unwilling because he knows the result will be, the grave will be the least of my worries, like an end yeah. to my suffering or something. That mm-hmm. will be the beginning of, of suffering. Uh, and then he's given a little scroll, a parchment, that says, fly from the wrath to come. That, of course, is from the mouth of uh, John the Baptist. Um, good Baptist, just like you and me and John Bunyan, <laughs> uh, who said that guy would not be allowed in most Baptist churches. <laughs> yeah, no. They'd be like, sir, I'm sorry, you don't, you're not wearing pants. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you, you've got... You we keep the locusts outside. We don't let dreadlocks in here. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, um, I think we'd let him in here, though. There's no honey in the sanctuary, please. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the the custodial staff takes a long sticky. time to clean every time you're yeah. here. The stickiness everywhere. He's, 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 he's just sticky. sticky. <laughs> you, gotta, you touched, honey? Yeah, <laughs> come on. Uh, what, what John the Baptist says is, and I feel like everything he says needs to be shouted, but uh, mm-hmm. I'll just say it. Uh, this is the one who's spoken by of the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, the, to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers hmm. who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. And there's other references to uh, flying from wrath to come early in the Gospels as well. Hmm. Uh, that's certainly the first step, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's the first... It's the first it, it, confirmed feeling I remember that when I uh, when I reached out to this person and we went on a walk and that was that was kind of the first realization is that this feeling is the inevitability of death and judgment mm-hmm. and that became like it clicked it just made sense that's exactly what I'm feeling that's exactly where I am right now and I know I don't 
you know, I know I'm unwilling and I don't want to, uh, because I know where I am, you know, right now. And it's, it's not going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pass a test. You know, I know my morals, I know my quality, uh, and it's lacking. Mm. Um, so then, right, that next message then to that person is you got to flee it. You got to find a way away from it. You got to, you know, look around you, use what you have, um, and then look in that direction, look towards that. Thing. Yeah, there's so many options where you could flee. Yes, and you. So he needs the instruction of evangelists to say this is the direction you're going to flee. Yeah, is toward well, that shining light. He asks him why he isn't moved. Yeah, why are you right? just standing there? Why are you just standing there? You know what you need to do. Leave. Why aren't you running? You know, I don't know where to go. I, I need someone to tell me where to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's an interesting, probably commentary on just how how things were back then. You know, just like uh, if you didn't have a good sense of where you're going, it's not like where we're living now where you go in any direction. You're going to find mm. something or you, you know, your, just, your phone will take you where you want to go. Yeah, anyways, yeah. You know? Just go you, just any direction you go. You're going to get lost. There's swamps out there. There's, you know, there's giants. There's there's hobgoblins. And, and you know, you got to watch out for those hobgoblins, hobgoblins Actually, man. I, there's quagmires. I heard that uh, in in uh, the south side of Lansing, there was a hobgoblin situation a couple days ago. There's quags out there. There's <laughs> quags and ditches. It's quags and ditches. Yeah, you, you can't. But do you think, I, you, you had said, um, you know, he mentions why you're still standing still. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know where to go. I think that almost matches up almost like mirror image with when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Yeah. And then he disappears into the sky and then the angels come and are like, uh, why are you standing there? Don't you yeah. have a job to do? Yes. And and they're not doing it. So the people who are feeling the conviction of the spirit are don't know where to go. So yes. there's, there's these two things that come together and the evangelist and the one who... And, and I think that's a great reminder for anyone doing evangelism. Hmm. You may be talking to people whose burden is huge. You can't see it. Yeah. It, you, yeah. may, you may be talking to people who are full-on worldly wise men who are going to laugh at you and say, I go to church in the town of legality and mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with all your stinky sloughs and all the, you know, your your dragons and hobgoblins and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've got a system. Yeah. It's not on you. I mean, how many people did evangelists talk to that day um, that were standing in fields that were like, get lost, guy? Right. That's, yeah. th- we don't know. Th- th- he doesn't follow him around. Um we should probably wrap this blessing up. So the wicked gate, that's, you know, straight from this, the scriptures. One of the most famous pictures of, that Jesus uses, mm-hmm. uh, Matthew seven thirteen, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Almost went with narrow gate. And then I said, no, it doesn't have the ring. The ring of the wicked the gate. wicked gate. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, and people have named blogs and podcasts and things that Very I think English. just because it's yeah. yeah yeah wicket when I think wicket I think croquet yes I think maybe do you, are there wickets involved in crumpets no. yeah crumpet yeah, yeah. I was going to say tea. cricket but there's no wickets in cricket is there yeah I don't know is there I don't know either I don't think about that sport I, I know it's a it's a thing that we make fun of as Americans for thinking it's like hoity toity but we'd probably get killed if we tried to play it like yeah <laughs> yeah most sports all all yeah. of those like British sports they're like. Yeah. Pads? What are you talking about? The worst thing that could happen is your head could get taken off. I mean, polo. <laughs> I feel water polo. Isn't that the same? <laughs> same level of danger. Shining light. Uh, so he says, "Do you see the wicked gate?" And he says, "No." 
Now, mm-hmm. I, I, I think we should just say for those who are unfamiliar, the 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 picture is there's a big gate everyone yeah. sees from a great distance. You're like, oh, that's where you go. The road is wide. It's like in the words of Elaine Bennis, it's luxurious. You can move back and forth. Oh, yeah. uh, you've got all the room in the world. It's easy going. It's probably not too many hobgoblins around on, on that road. They leave people alone on the road yes. that leads to destruction. Why would they mess with you? Um, it's going to be the spirit who might come and mess with you and, and, and right. uh, make you feel miserable yeah. there. Then those who are on the narrow road, then they enter through a smaller gate that few find, and they walk down a narrow road that is more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not able to see the wicket gate. He looks, he looks, he doesn't have good enough vision, but he says, do you see the shining light? He says, I think so. I, I do see that. Follow that. That'll bring you to the gate. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's the scriptures, perhaps drawing him to the the narrow gate. Second hmm. Peter one nineteen, and we have something more sure: the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, hmm. until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I feel like that's a this is a total aside. This is a digression from a digression. More inception. Hmm. I feel like that's a verse that like. Uh, I've heard people say, see how evil the NIV and those new translations are? They say morning star, and that's the devil. Right, um, right. So the, the, this shining light is uh, the scripture leading him. It's, yes. It, it, what else could yeah. it be? Yeah. Well, and, and The book's in his hand, but it's off in the distance. It just, it, it's a paradox. That's what makes the, I think that's what makes the advice of the minister so interesting to not listen to it, you know? Look over here instead of here, and you know, you know, here's evangelist highlighting. No, no, this is going to be your most important weapon. You know, this is going to be the thing that leads you. This is going to be the thing that is your most sure. You know, you know, you know, and and true comfort. Keep reading this. Keep searching in this. Of course, later on, there's no more reference to him reading the book. Right. But he's got a sword, he's which got a sword. is then, yeah. You know, he, he only uses it a couple times. There's a couple times where I'm like. Dude, you still have that sword. Sword, yeah. But uh, it doesn't work sometimes. Wait, wait, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. That's silly. Okay, so um, he does not look back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke nine sixty two. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And uh, that'll come up again in the, the next section. So we'll just leave that sit. Genesis 19. This also will come up later, but way later. Uh, as they brought them out, this is uh, out of the cities of the valley, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the others uh, that are destined for judgment, the kind of the, the prototype of the city of destruction. The angels say, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Except Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Uh, and of course, one person in the party does not take that advice and goes bad. So this guy, Christian, doesn't look back. He runs forward. He hears people calling him. Mm-hmm. Don't go. This has got to be the hardest part of the whole thing, right? Your kids, your wife saying, I don't like where you're going. I don't like where this is, what this is doing to you. I miss the old you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want my husband back. The guy I actually married. Yeah. Um, and he puts his fingers in his ears. Mm. Uh, that, that to me is, I hope he thought that through before he wrote it because it's the most bold thing in this whole thing of him. Like we, we would think of that as being an odd move, like, covering your ears shows you're afraid of what it's going to say to you or whatever. He knows he doesn't need to hear that now. Hmm. It's going it, to, he knows that any extra input beyond go to that light is only going to distract him, confuse him. Hmm. Uh, and yeah. Jesus says in Luke fourteen thirty three. so therefore anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Uh, and in Luke fourteen twenty six. 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Uh, then, of course, what he's shouting is life, life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is life that, that he loves. Uh, I think I don't want to try and take Jesus' words and say it's just hyperbole. I also don't want to take Jesus' words and say I can describe it away with a Greek. But uh, I think both of those, there's a little truth to them. Hmm. Uh, what we have here is definitely an extreme statement, which Jesus often made. Tell, tell the guy, you know, like, all you, all you need to do is go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Because mm-hmm. I can look into your heart and I can see that what you love most is riches and possessions. Sure. Then, uh, you know, whole orders of monks are like, oh, that's what we need to do? What, right. what must I do? Mm-hmm. When it really, uh, that was for that guy, the thing that was standing in his way. Uh, here, I think, you know, there is a, a, a family idolatry that we can have. Hmm. The Greek word uh, is miseo, and it's a word people already know for, for hate um, okay. because you know the word misogynist. Right. Uh, Gune okay. means woman, uh, and miseo. So, so a misogynist is not someone who hates women. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't tell you they do anyway. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, I love women. Mm-hmm. I just prefer, you know, if there's an opening in my uh, business, it's a man who fills it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer that I, I deal with, you know, every, everything's got to be, but I love women. Yeah. It's, it's a preference for. It's a, mm. a hard choosing of one and rejecting of the other. Okay. And I really believe that you don't even have to go to the hyperbole route to explain this. You can just look at the the core meaning of the Greek to say, Jesus is saying, when it comes down to it, if you won't choose me over, hmm. if you won't prefer the gospel and the the world to come and, and me as your savior to even the closest relatives you have, you can't be my disciple. So yeah. there's no there's no halfway lukewarm way to follow Jesus. Yeah, the guy who wants to bury his, uh, what is it? His, his, his father. His, yeah, yeah his father. Let me so bury my father, then go. I'll follow you. Yeah, you're not. He says, "Let the dead yeah. bury the dead." You know, you know what, 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 and and it's. I guess I think about that one. You go, what if you would have asked? Can I go? Mm. You know, you know, you know. Hmm. Can I go do this thing instead of telling Jesus? Oh. I'm going to go do this, and then I'll have time for you. Right. You know, Ooh, uh, I don't think he would have had a problem with, yeah, okay, it's your dad. I understand. I'm like you in, in you know, you know, like every way except for sin. You know, I understand what He's it buried is his to, father. He's already yeah, done it. Yeah. I, 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 I've wept for my friends. I understand that this is painful. Sure. But I think the telling mm-hmm. is the big thing. And I think a lot of people, that's how their religion works. I have the most important things. Goals. Uh-huh. You know, you know, you know, you know friends, family, things that I won't give up or I'm going to keep. I am going to keep for a period of time. And then when it's acceptable to me, I will let them go and I'll follow you. And I think Jesus' point is, no, you won't. Hmm. You're not going to do that. Right. You know, There'll be you another know. thing. It'll be, okay, now let me get the business that he left me in order and yeah. the books worked out. And Okay, but now let me make it profitable, then I'll follow you. It's the same thing as this Ezekiel text. You know, like, Is that courage, is that thing that you say you're going to do really going to be what you're going to do? Hmm. No, it's not going to be. You know, you know there's, because, because that doesn't show a true, genuine understanding of someone's need for Jesus. He should be clinging to Jesus first, you know. Uh, submitting to Jesus first, looking for his approval and his, you know, um, nod on stuff. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the way that we live amongst people should be our preference is always for Jesus. Yeah. It's always for more Jesus. Um, and again, that's why it's so important 
that the people you're connected with most, that's their goal too. Yeah. Then you don't have to leave them behind. Then mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, a, you, we don't have to plug the ears and go, this is going to be my greatest, you know, temptation, my greatest thing that's going to pull me they'll, away. They'll be with me when I'm at my weakest and in my doubt and tempted hard and they'll know and they'll see and they'll pull me away. Rather, mm -hmm. you'll have people with you when you're at your weakest and tempted and, yeah. and they'll say, let me pray for you and, and hold yeah. you up. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And he does, thank God, find those people just like most people who follow Jesus do by his providence, mm -hmm. you know, even if they don't have a, you know, Paul didn't have any spouse at all when he was in. Right. It didn't matter. He had, um, I mean, probably closer relationships with some of these young guys and, and sons. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They're sons. So, so there's a, a friend who's closer than a brother, according mm -hmm. to the scriptures. And I mean, good grief, especially hopeful, I think becomes that for, yeah, for Christian. Big time. Um, now, John 3.16 is the one given for life, life, everlasting life, which is the last words of the section as he runs out toward the middle of the plane. Hmm. If you don't know that one, it's a good in, It's a good one. If you don't know that one? You don't know John 3.16? Yeah. You should know it. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hmm. And then also John 3.36, uh, part of the same discourse, uh, or, or dialogue, actually. Uh, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Mm -hmm. And that is the crossroads that Christian was at throughout this whole uh, episode. You know, I think we actually did go deep. Yeah. And maybe we should call it the, the Pilgrim's Deep Grass. Deep Grass. Deep you thought I said digest at first. Yeah. Pilgrim's Digest sounds Pilgrim's like something digest. a grandma would read. Like my grandma when I was a little kid. She'd be like, now you sit and play with your Transformers, and I'm going to read the Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Digest. digest. <laughs> well, your grandma was a baller. But uh, that's episode one, or chapter one. Um, and do we need a catchphrase? Or is that <laughs> I don't know if we need a catchphrase. Can you think of a quote from the book that you want to use as a catchphrase? Mm. Let's just, know, we right? can just say... That'll do it for us. Until next time, uh, we have been Mr. Sagacity, Alex Police, and uh, Zachary Bartles. I didn't even ask you if you wanted that title. I just... The stay sage, on the, the, stay on the narrow road. Stay... There it is. Until, <laughs> until, we, until we meet again, stay on the narrow road. Yeah, well done. Make sure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. To support this program, to gain early access to episodes, and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress. This recording, copyright 2022, high and silver, all rights reserved. Executive producer, Rob Knudsen. Additional music and sound effects licensed from pond5.com. To discover a new, more texts from and about the earliest Baptists, head over to www.highandsilver.com. And for more audio productions of my fiction, visit ZacharyBartles.com slash audio. High and silver. Good. <laughs>